grateful to be out here. I am so happy to be here. So excited to be here. I get such energy uh, when I just see the stage popping and being here with my friends and family. This is such a beautiful community. So much appreciated. And uh, that kind of ties into what I talk about, which is relationships. And you heard it before uh, with Danelle talking about relationships and relationship building. And it's oftentimes a topic on here because it's so powerful relationships are so powerful in every sense of the word and they are essential in order to build your business build your life uh, make sure that you are optimized in terms of your happiness in terms of your potential but I also want to talk about the fact that not everybody has that support system one in four people have zero friends and it's something that I talk about often because I experienced it. And I want to take you back to when I was a young child and the impact that it had on me. And so there I was, I was about eight, nine years old, and I was not the kid that always had people around. I was the kid who was sitting on the playground watching everybody else play while I was in the corner. I was the one who, instead of having people to connect with, I was hanging out in the library anytime there was free time because it felt safer to me. By the fifth grade, I was eating lunch with my teacher. And I had no friends, not a single person to connect with, not a single soul to rely on, not a soul to talk about the joys of my, my life, the sadnesses that happened that only a nine or 10 year old had. And I remember so clearly in the sixth grade, which is ironic because my daughter is now in the sixth grade, so I am able to go back and transport myself so quickly to that stage in my life. And there I was with no friends and a transfer student arrives. And I could not have been more excited to have this transfer student come into my school because it was a potential friend. All of a sudden, I had the potential to make a connection. And I didn't care how weird she was. And she did not know how ostracized I was at that point. And so I basically went full on caveman with this person and said, this is now my friend. You have no choice in the matter. I'm going to make you love me. And she did for a moment. And she invited me over for a sleepover. And I don't know if anyone has been a 12-year-old girl in this room. Brad, I, I'm pretty sure you have not. Uh, <laughs> but as a 12-year-old girl, who had not had a sleepover in so many years, it was the most exciting thing in the world to be invited over to her home. And so I show up on her doorstep and I have my caboodle in tow, filled with blue eyeshadows, ready for this most amazing experience of being able to connect with someone. And she answers the door and my stomach drops into my feet because she's holding an enormous hairy cat. And I am not just allergic to cats. I am deathly allergic. I'm not talking runny nose allergic. I'm not talking watery eyes allergic. I am dying allergic to cats. Like can't breathe allergic. But I push that down. I push it down because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there is nothing that is going to get in the way of this budding friendship. And I'm gonna defeat biology in order to make this connection. And so I went inside and then she tells me, listen, it's really important for Blueberry to bond with my friends. And I thought, okay, all right, next up, I can do this. And I'm sitting on the bed and I have Warren's cherry pie playing in the background. So I'm just dating myself right there. And we're putting out the blue eyeshadows and the cat decides to jump in my lap. 
because that's what every animal does when they know that someone's allergic to them or can't pet them or doesn't want to pet them. They get as close to you as possible. And so the cat jumps in my lap and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm still alive. This is a win. This is an absolute win until all of a sudden I can see it happening in slow motion. I'm sitting there on the bed. Blueberry stares at me and all of a sudden he is coming at me, mouth that's stretched, tongue hanging out and begins to lick up one side of the face and down the other. And I knew at that point that I was gonna lose. There's only so much biology that you can fight. And within moments, my face starts to tingle and stretch and I can feel the hives coming. And five minutes later, I look like Swamp Thing's child. My parents are called and that friendship ended. And the reason why I share this story, and I share that story in my book too, because people need to understand how important friendship and connection is. I was willing to risk my life, my health in that situation to make a connection with someone. I was willing to put myself into a position where I was not going to be healthy and happy because I needed that connection. We as human beings are wired for that. We are wired. Our brains are ginormous compared to our bodies. And so a lot of anthropologists have studied this and found that that is because we are wired. Thank you, Vernita. And thank you for hosting such an amazing conversation for the last hour. Um, it was definitely worth having an hour long conversation. I know last week um, this discussion got pushed aside. So I appreciate um, you having this discussion with us today and passing the mic over. So everyone, my name is Patricia Wooster, and every Tuesday we come together from 4 to 5 p.m., Dre and I, to discuss building your brand with a book. And today I am so excited because I have Rachel D'Alto here uh, for an interview. And if you've heard her interviewed in this room before, it's going to be a little bit different today because we're actually gonna be talking about behind the scenes of actually writing, publishing, and marketing her book. So for those of you who are unaware or have been living under a rock, Rachel D'Alto is a relationship expert. She's a TV personality. She is a speaker, and now she is the recent author of the book, Relatable, How to Connect with Anyone Everywhere that released just on September 7th, so just a few weeks ago. Rachel, thank you so much. How has the um, book launch, how's it been going? Oh my gosh, uh, no one tells you. <laughs> Actually, I think they did tell me and I just ignored them. Uh, it has been something. So I am uh, two weeks out today and I have to tell you the last two weeks were a complete blur, but things are kind of starting to settle down and, you know, I just got off a podcast and so it's still, it's still all happening. It's just uh, not as absolute insane uh, as it was in those first weeks, but it's, it's a lot. It is. It's so much. And so one of the reasons I was so excited to talk about you is because you are a familiar face on Clubhouse and on Instagram and probably to a lot of people in this room. And the perception that people get during a book launch, particularly when it's associated with a traditional publisher, is that it's so easy and that it's so fun and the process is effortless. And so that's why I was really excited to bring you in here and kind of talk about those things that a lot of people don't talk about 
um, regarding that book process, because I think that when people see that, they think that's something they can't do. And they don't realize that a lot of these pieces disaster on the they all they all come out eventually right and so first of all the one thing i i've been really curious about is kind of where did this journey start for you so did it start with you having an idea where you approached kind of what was the beginning of that idea yeah so the the journey actually started with the idea but the idea was a keynote so a couple of years ago, um, I was doing, um, you know, a little bit more speaking and I really wanted to narrow into what I was already thinking about, which was this idea of relatability. And so I wrote uh, the relatable keynote first back in 20. 18. I don't know. I feel like all my years just blend together now. Um, so it came out as this idea back a couple of years ago and then started doing the keynote and realized, oh, this is actually working. I do interactions. And so people started really making connections. And I said, this needs to reach more people. I don't have time to write a book proposal right now. So let me just start it and see where it goes. And so this is the end of 2019. I'm writing this book proposal very, very slowly. Uh, I knew that I wanted to do a traditional publishing deal uh, this time. I had done a hybrid book like 10 years ago, which I wrote in 10 days, and I don't recommend anyone to buy. <laughs> but it was with a different intention. I wanted to do more TV at the time, and it worked. But this one, I wanted to be evergreen and last forever and have a bigger reach and impact. So I started with a book proposal and then um, had to stop because I was traveling so much. And then quarantine hit. And so I continued and was able to to really finish the book proposal and build it out and then eventually get an agent and shop it. But we can get into those different processes as well. So what I think is funny about the book proposal thing is, so in my industry, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a book coach. So I work with a lot of people, entrepreneurs who want to write and publish a book, whether it's self-published or traditional published, is that a lot of the people that come to me have already been bombarded with this idea of, write a book over the weekend or write a book in 90 days. Um, the book proposal process itself, um, there are so, so many moving parts to it. Um, how long, I mean, what did that feel like for you? Because for me, when I wrote a book proposal, I felt like I was writing a book. Um, it was like 50 or 60 pages or something. Yeah, I think mine was around 60, somewhere in the 60s. And you do feel like you might as well have just been writing the book, but the, the book proposal has so many different elements. You know, I, I had only two chapters, or I think I ended up putting three chapters in the proposal after after my agent got it. She's like, let's add another chapter. And I was like, I want to die right now. I'm done, I'm done writing. Uh, but yeah, the book proposal is way longer of a process than I think people budget for. And that's why it took me so long. It probably took me six months to get the book proposal done from beginning to finish because I didn't have the bandwidth to to work on it in the way that I wanted to. And again, I wanted this book to live forever and I wanted it to, to impact forever. So I didn't want to miss anything and I wanted to land the right people. So definitely way more complicated of a process, not insurmountable. Obviously people do it all the time, but it's just, you have to kind of, when you go in eyes wide open, you can engage differently and be prepared. It's also, it's really like creating a business plan for your book. And um, particularly like if you, this is not necessarily, this isn't your situation, but for people that don't have a large audience, 
the one thing um, recommendation I make to people because that is often the determining factor of whether you get a book deal or not anymore is what is your audience size or who's going to buy it is making sure that you really spend the time of being very deliberate and also very specific on how you're going to sell your book. If you can't deliver big social media numbers, big followers, email lists, and those kind of things, then you really need to be creative. Um, in my book proposal, I had to really get creative about exactly where bulk sale purchases were going to go. But it's really important, and I think a lot of times people, they focus on the front part of the proposal, which is the pitch, and then the chapters in the back, and they think that the rest of the stuff's filler when it really isn't. And um, and if you're fortunate enough and you've got an agent already, you know they can help you kind of smooth those those edges out. Um, now, did you um, did you have an agent before you actually wrote your proposal? Which came first? No, I had I had ideas of you know people that I wanted to send it to, but I did not have an agent. I actually, uh, it, it's interesting. I had kind of an idea of who I wanted to send to, but I also wanted to scope out Publishers Marketplace, and that is where the agent I ended up signing with. I found her through there, through other deals that she had done. So I had uh, done the proposal and then said, okay, now I'm going to focus on who am I going to send it out to. And I think I only sent it to about like five or six people and um, found somebody that I was really aligned with. So ended up signing with her. Yeah, the agent, um, what, if you have a really good agent, it makes it all the difference as far as the process goes. Because once you have an agent, once you have a book proposal, there's a whole timeline of events that happen after that. And so for me, like I kind of skipped that whole process, which is a whole story in itself about how I got to Simon Schuster without those things. But I had a relationship that I had started by doing some other things um, with Simon and Schuster. But the one thing I noticed is once I got the proposal in front of them, the process that I had, the experience I had was that I had an advocate within Simon and Schuster, an editor, and they go meeting, you know, with a table of other editors who also have their press, their manuscripts that they want to get signed, and everybody kind of debates, and it becomes this whole like election process almost, and then they pick three at that time that then went up to kind of like a higher corporate chain. So it was like months and months of sort of whittling down. To people that were going to get contracts at that particular time for those types of books. What was the trajectory of like from when your book proposal was pitched to what did that process look like? So I don't, I don't think mine was very normal. Um, and I think it was because of the content. So I had my agent, uh, we signed in March, actually, no, I finished it up in March, April, we signed. And then we had a, a written deal done by the beginning of June uh, from Simon and & Schuster. And I do believe that it's because they wanted to publish this. They, they intentionally wanted to publish this now because they anticipated that there would be that social anxiety getting back into everyday life. You know, we had just entered quarantine, but already saw that there was going to be this impact because we had already been a couple months in and they thought, wow, this could be really helpful. So it moved so fast. Uh, so yeah, by June I had a deal and, and was off to write. 
That is really fast. I think mine was in legal. <laughs> was that long? The contract negotiation was almost that long. But, you know, and that's something else that I tell people. Um, I run a writing, like, club here on Clubhouse, and people ask questions or, or mold this, like, traditional versus self-publishing thing. Or they don't write their book because they don't get an agent or their proposals don't go through. And a lot of times it's a timing issue, right? And so, like, if you have a book and you don't know it, but a publisher has already signed or slated the next 18 to 24 months out and they have books that are in that category, a lot of times you could write an amazing book and a book that, you know, somebody else gets a book deal because of the timing issue. And so it's kind of that, you know, writing that way, but also maybe circling back with your proposal later to different agents or publishers um, waiting for that market to open up. And so I, I think it's really important always to be transparent about these traditional publishing deals because they're really hard to get. Um, my uh, agent told me that because of COVID, so many projects were sidelined during that period, some of the like really big six and seven figure book deals where they had big events and all this kind of stuff planned. And then COVID hit and these, you know, authors that they had all this money invested in, they said, okay, we're going to sideline some projects or postpone them a bit, which literally backed up the entire system. And so, you know, it's getting more and more complicated for people to get published. And so anyone who's listening here, I want you to understand that like getting traditional published is amazing and it's a topic for another room, but um, self-publishing is really amazing too. And so there's a lot of pros and cons um, of both processes. And so today we're primarily talking about traditional publishing, but the, my, the rest of my questions here are mostly regarded to actual process. And so I'm really curious, Rachel, so once you had your deal, and you were kind of off and rolling, what was your writing process like? Like, what was your routine? And um, like, what was the best way for you? Because some people kind of like write by the seat of their pants, some people outline, some people write every day, others don't. Um, what is that like for you? Yeah, so I need consistency and I need uh, structure. <laughs> so I know that about myself and uh, I would utilize the, I had uh, the table of contents and then I had the expanded table of contents in my book proposal and I'm very linear. I wanted to go from the beginning of the book till the end of the book. So I took a chapter at a time and, and didn't move into the next chapter until I finished it, unless something came up research-wise that I would kind of uh, bookmark and add in uh, somewhere else. But I ended up joining a writing group. And basically, the only, um, the only thing that we did in, in this group was we met on Zoom every day, Monday through Friday, from 9 to 10. And we would do sprints. And so we would write for 20 minutes, we would come together, people could ask questions, you know, it could be about books, it could be about publishing um, for about five minutes, and then you go back and write, and we'd end up getting uh, a good amount of writing done in, in that hour, probably, I'd say 50 minutes out of the hour was spent writing. And sometimes I would continue on for another hour or so, but I didn't do much more than that because I realized that I can get burnt out really quickly. And I also knew I had six months. So I, this is when I'm going to get, I'm going to sound really dorky. I had a book tracker, uh, Excel sheet. 
and it was in a Google sheet. And so every day I would track the number of words, um, the goal number of words, because I would divide that out by the number of days that I had to write the book in order to turn the manuscript in on time. And then I also had like an early projection. And so I had a goal set out of the number of words per day. And I would have this tracker that would tell me how many words I was on track or um, off track with so that I knew, okay, I need to add an extra hour in today. But it turned out, that I was able to get the entire book done primarily in that hour per day. And I found that having that consistency in terms of when I wrote and how long I wrote really allowed me to not put so much pressure on myself so that I didn't feel blocked, but also to allow that rest of the day to, I mean, there would ideas would come up, stories would come up and I would jot them down, but I wouldn't force myself to go sit and write them. I would just allow them to percolate and then go back and focus on them. Oh my gosh, you're like my writing sister. You are my dream. Um, so one of the things I always talk about is like consistency is so important when it comes to the writing process. Even if you, it's it's the easiest way to utilize just 20 or 30 minutes of writing time a day. And I, I had a, a client once and we were getting close to Christmas because I was saying, you have to write every day. And she's like, Christmas? And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's taking consistent action. So it doesn't mean always that you have to sit down and work on the middle of chapter five. It may be if you're going to start every chapter with a quote is you just go find a quote or you reread something you read the day before, because what it does is it gets your mind focused on always thinking about that writing project. So like Rachel, when you were done with the writing thing in the morning and you percolate, you think about it all day and you know you already have your writing time set up the very next day, you probably sat down and were able to kind of jump into it. And that's because it's top of mind. And I always laugh because my brilliant ideas always come when I'm in the middle of a shower and can't write them down. But it's because I keep it top of mind. And um, sometimes we have to trick ourselves like you, you knew you had to show up for a writing group. So that is something that you committed to and people are expecting you to be there. And, you know, sometimes those are the things that structure is so helpful for getting the book done. And for me, what I had to do, because I am like, you know, the cobbler's kids has no shoes. It's like the book coach never writes type of thing. And I was trying to finish my book forever and ever and ever. I swear it'll be out this year. Um, but what I did finally was, is I would come home from the gym and like a hot mess and I would make myself sit down and write out my words, which I'm like you, I had them all tracked, write my words before I was allowed to get in the shower. Well, I was highly motivated to take a shower. And so the words came out a lot faster than if I knew I had all day to like putz around with it. And so you know, I think as business people, a lot of times working on books, we think, oh, I'll, I'll work, you know, for four hours on Saturday. And I've never seen that to work very well because it's the same kind of concept as to why multitasking doesn't work is your brain has to get back into the activity. So you have to like reread stuff and you've got to think about things and you've got to get back into the headspace of that content. And particularly as entrepreneurs, where we've been dealing with business and, and different things all week long, to jump back into it. And I think that's a lot of reason why many of us feel like these book projects, like it sounds like a great idea. And then we start it and we're like, oh, it's such a grind. 
but I love the consistent action because it's amazing what you can accomplish in 20 or 30 minutes. And um, the one thing that I suggest people do is time yourself. Um, when you first start writing, time how many words you're getting for 30 minutes or an hour. It, that's going to do two things. It's going to give you a baseline. So for a nonfiction book, if you want to stay to traditionally published standards, which I usually recommend, regardless of how you're publishing, you're going to want to be between like 40 and 60,000 words, say. So you can divide that out. Uh, I'm going to just throw some numbers out. Printed, you're going to have between 250 or 300 words. So it gives you a basic idea of how many words you're doing. So you can divide your words you want to have in your chapter by how many chapters you have. And then if it's, say, you need 3,500 words per chapter, you want to stay around a 500 word kind of range within that chapter. So one chapter could be like 4,000 words. One could be 3,500 if you want them to look consistent. But if you time yourself working on your chapter, you're writing, you're going to one, you're going to know your pace when you're going to books going to be done. You can start marking things off on your calendar as we'll get into. Rachel will tell you there's a lot of preparation involved with marketing and launching your book. But two, you will find that you are competing with yourself to increase your word count in the time that you have committed to write. So it creates a bit of a contest with yourself. So those are some suggestions I would make around the process itself. Um, so once you had that first draft written, I'm very curious, Rachel, as to know like, what did you find to be like the most helpful with working with a traditional publisher? And I think this is important for people to understand because most people in this room will not be traditionally published, but may self-publish is seeking. You can, all those resources are now available to the self-published author. And so understanding the, re, the relationships and the different things that are the best to invest in, I think are really important. So I'm just curious as to what you found the most helpful. In terms of the process after I was finished writing? Yeah, I mean, just with the publisher, like, where do you feel like you got the most guidance or help? Gotcha. Would you be the most beneficial? Yeah, you know, I think, honestly, one of the things that surprised me about that process um, with the traditional publisher was that they, at first, didn't want the entire thing until it, the entire manuscript was all together. And so I was talking with my editor, and she said, actually, you know, it'd be awesome if you send things in clips. And one of the things that really worked well for me is I would send her three chapters at a time. And so the book was already completely mapped out, so it wasn't like it would adjust, con you know, content as it moved forward, but it would adjust the way that I wrote. So it was awesome because I could send them to my editor. She would send it back. And sometimes it took her a month or two to send back uh, the chapters. So there was a little bit of lag time um, where I would have to look at what she edited and then look back and, and revise mine if necessary. But I'm definitely somebody who thrives on feedback. And so that was an awesome thing to have built in. And I had done a hybrid book, like I said, back in um, 20, oh my gosh, 2012, 2011. And I had hired a private editor um, for that. But having kind of that, that built in checks and balances. And the other thing with my, um, the imprint that I worked with at Simon Schuster, they were very prone to um, 
helping me with research. And so uh, there was kind of this whole department that was helpful in terms of um, just what was going on in, in social and what were trends and things like that. So having that support system as well, but just having the people to bounce things off of, um, which actually created an entire other chapter. So I have uh, one of my chapters is called Smizing is Real because we wanted to address the fact that we're still, you know, in this pandemic and we're still having to utilize masks and connect through our eyes and dealing with Zoom. And so I talk about kind of how we can still make all of these relatable connections um, through our, our phones, through our computers. And that was something that was grown from those interactions and that back and forth of, okay, do you want to add this in? here and maybe we should add this in and why don't we pull this out and put it into a different chapter so just that that ability to bounce off of with someone who's really invested too and and I would implore anybody who's hiring someone is just make sure that you know they get you and they get your mission because books are I mean there there's an energy to them and and there's um just so much passion especially if this is something that you truly believe in you want to make sure that they believe in it too so that you end up in the right direction Oh my gosh, thank, <laughs> if you saw my questions here, it's like, thank goodness you basically said editing because <laughs> I was anticipating that was gonna be the answer because to me, the editors, the access to editors with traditional publisher and the collaboration that can take place is so important. It's also when we get caught up in our own intellectual property, it's like when you see doctors talking to each other and they all talk in this jargon, we don't realize the things that we know that other people don't know. And so we can write sometimes and we there's gaps because we're not building the foundation um, for somebody who's just coming into our world to understand, or we're missing opportunities to talk about other topics as well. And the one thing that I found when I started working with people that were self-publishing and I started looking for editors was that I was sending out for sample edits and people would send back and, you know, stroke me and tell me how amazing it was and all this stuff, which I knew it wasn't because I had just gotten done written, writing three books with Simon and Schuster. And they would send me these phone books in the mail with like 6,000 sticky notes and comments and that it was a collaborative process. And I knew there was no way I improved that much for the next book. And so what they were doing is they were, they were stroking my ego because they wanted the business. And this is so important if you're going to go out and look for editors. And it's, I mean, it's not, um, it's not their fault. They're trying to get a job. But what I have done now, so I went to the 11th editor. And what I said to him was, listen, I have family and friends that will tell me I'm amazing. I need you to tell me where I messed up, like where I need help, because it's through that collaboration and feedback where we all grow in everything we do. And um, when I get on a discovery call with somebody who wants to work, the, I, th the biggest thing I'm assessing for is can this person take feedback? Because I feel like as a coach in any industry, what you're paying for is feedback and transparency and honesty because we're looking to improve. But when it comes to creative projects, a lot of people are very defensive about it. And so if you're writing anything, the biggest investment financially and time and in searching to me would be for an editor because 
they can literally change the entire dynamic of your manuscript. They can give you a new way of thinking about things or point of view. And I think a lot of times, because I've heard this, I've been running a room with Dre since January. We were used to run it twice a week. Now we run it once a week, a writing Q&A room. And we've gotten, I'm going to estimate, it's been about a gazillion questions around the traditional versus self-publishing and people thinking that the reason they want a traditional publishing deal is because they think that that lets them off the hook for marketing and that marketing is the biggest value add. And I will say, number one, it's not the biggest value add. The biggest value add is the editing, but the marketing is a myth. And, um, and Simon Schuster was amazing to work with. But you have to realize they've got like a ton of authors. They've got a lot of things going on and they're more about helping you set the vision, but the marketing and launching really falls on the author. And so Rachel, I'm very curious because I have seen you a lot on social media and I know that you've been on television and a lot of things around this book and podcasts and such is what, what has, I guess, what has been your role as far as the marketing of the book? And what are some of the things that you found to be the most effective way to market and sell this particular book? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I don't know the most effective yet because I, I don't have numbers uh, at this point, but I have been the content creator and that's really what I realized uh, I'm, I'm best put in that role. So for me, putting into um, to, into action on social media, I started a TikTok account actually after I joined Clubhouse. This was back in, I joined Clubhouse in December. I was hearing TikTok, go on TikTok, go on TikTok, and then eventually joined in February. And I actually just hit 100,000 followers on TikTok, which was a huge focus because my book is, is very much uh, focused on millennials and Gen Zs with social anxiety. So it was such an enormous opportunity. But that uh, that was squarely on me. I did hire, I've had a publicist for uh, almost, she's been with me for a decade now. So I hired her, uh, not actively always, she's always kind of reactive in the background, but hired her to work actively with Simon & Schuster uh, in terms of promoting the book, which is how we got GMA and uh, some other TV segments and, and some other high-level podcasts. And uh, But yeah, I've been very, very much active in promoting myself uh, to people to recommend me to podcasts. And I just got off one right before I, I got on here. And, and Clubhouse has been a huge component of just networking with people and connecting with people who uh, may have someone um, to to really put me in the right place in terms of promotion. So I've been hugely involved in not only the content, but in the um, execution of things. Uh, but the publicity side, that's definitely handled by my publicist. I, I help her with ideas and um, points and talking points and things like that. And then she goes out and, and does that. But social media is all me and, and uh, also just encouraging uh, people to connect with podcasts is all on me too. So we'll see uh, <laughs> what translates the best. <laughs> I love your little videos. Um, I think actually, so I started following you on Clubhouse and then I started following you on Instagram and then I started really looking forward to all your short videos. Um, I think they're amazing. They've been really impactful. So um, I have a last question for you before I hand it over to Dre is what are your goals like what's next? Like moving forward? I know you're like, you're still launching the book and talking about the books, but what are some of those things that you want to do or tackle next? 
Yeah, it's so funny because honestly, today was the first time that I was able to redirect any sort of energy beyond the book. Uh, but I created a uh, assessment. It's called the Relatable Assessment. That is uh, something I'm going to be bringing to corporations and teams to help them assess their relatability and, and their ability to interact and communicate and work together better. So that's kind of that next branch that comes from the book, uh, from the principles of the book, but but more so in that um, that deep deeper uh, capacity where I can really get in there and, and get my hands dirty. So that's kind of what I'm pivoting towards next. But that's kind of the beauty of a book. It's it allows you to really um, look at, okay, how do I how do I offshoot this in so many different ways? So that is where my energy was not allowing me to to work on getting that word out there. But you'll probably see some more of that in the future. That's amazing. I mean, I'm that's what I love about nonfiction books is it because there's so many derivatives, you know, that you can develop and offshoot from them, whether it's public speaking, coaching, consulting, workbooks, digital courses, it's very un unlimited. And once you have that, you've taken the time to sort of gather and organize your ideas, you've kind of created the foundation from growing from it. And so I just appreciate you taking some time today. I know you've been super busy. I looked this t this morning because I already have my copy of Relatable, but if anybody's jealous, I got mine very early on before um, Amazon got a little backed up, but it looks like it's back on, um, You can people can get it. You can have it tomorrow. You can have it by the weekend to read. So um, Relatable, you guys, please pick it up. It's how to connect with anyone anywhere, even if it scares you, you can get it on Amazon and get Barnes and Noble or anywhere that books are sold. But thank you, Rachel, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a, it's been a pleasure and I, I love watching all that you do. Thank you, Rachel. And everybody knows, Sarah knows, because I talk about this all the time. I have major FOMO that I was not in New York City to meet you and everyone else. So hopefully we will meet in person soon. Uh, uh, Rachel, yeah. what's up, Bernita? I'm so sad I missed your segment. I had a podcast for the book. <laughs> it was really, really good. Bernita's I, segment was so good today. I will be listening. I will be listening. That's the beauty of it. If you miss it, you can listen. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.